five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Good morning. You're listening to Colourful Radio and it's time for a very special edition of Five in the Eye. I'm Phil Woodford in London. If you're tuning in regularly, you'll know that our usual format is to pick out five of the week's news stories and put them under some real scrutiny. In 2021, we're going to be shaking things up a little on occasion, not just with high profile guests such as Bonnie Greer right at the start of the year, but also with more in-depth discussions on specific and important questions. Five in the eye. That's right, and this is me, Michael O'Hoodjuri, joining Phil by Zoom and revealing that today we're going to focus on the challenging issues of race and racism and white privilege with the author of a new book, This Is Why I Resist. She's a lawyer, a writer, a public speaker, and has built up an increasing profile for herself recently in the media. It's Dr. Shola Moss Shogbamimu. And after that, I've got to say, Welcome to the show. Welcome to that's an alliteration there. Welcome to the show. Welcome Thank to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. She, she's rescued you. She's rescued exactly. you there, Michael. Thank you for that, Shola. Five in the eye. Shola, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that this, this, that this book, This Is Why I Resist, is a powerful polemic. I'd even go further and say it's probably the loudest book I've ever read. Honestly, oh my god you heard my voice loud and clear <laughs> like a bell honestly it was so resonant throughout the book and the intensity energy and enthusiasm really come across so look tell us what 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 what, what made you publish it right now is it black lives matter was the response to that what 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 what, what was the energy that drove you to actually do it now and and, and in terms of the audience who are you trying to reach is it black people, white people, or maybe is it yourself? I don't know. Share with us. Why now? And who's it for? All right. So um, the book itself has been, I, I, let's just say, I, I, tried, I tried to um, compare it to um, childbirth. So it's been in the making, right, for a long while, long, you know, before 2020, at least a couple of years. But 2020 was, it just happened that all the elements worked together. Um, to make it possible for me to sit the heck down and just give birth. And I, I you know, I had three kids. I, I like to say that this book was like giving birth to a fourth child, but without epidural. Okay. So it was. Michelle, please, please. We're men here. We're, we're a bit squeamish. You know, can you, can you, more, more gentle metaphors, please. So it was, it was both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. But this is what I would say. My book is for everybody. The words, this is why I resist, while it truly captures my, my activism, my advocacy, and where I am as an individual, I think that it speaks to a lot of people as well who feel it is time to change and end racial injustice and you know, racial inequality. And so what I do with the book is, is to try to you know, deal with those constant hard battles we have with conversations around race, racism, and race inclusion. It's for everybody. It's for those who don't think um, systemic racism is an issue. It's for those who are willfully ignorant and oblivious to institutional racism. It is for those who want to learn more. It is for those who are of like mind. I'm literally drawing from contemporary issues 
um, to address a number of facts, a number of points. It, uh, you know, the, the book literally, it blows the lid off indefensible rhetoric on race, racism, and race inclusion. And by drawing on, uh, from ongoing conversations from social media, mainstream headlines, civil protests, divisive political rhetoric, identity politics, and the like, what this book is doing is a no holds bar. They, <laughs> There is no boundary. There's no boundary. There's no, um, there's no kind of notion that, well, maybe we can't talk about this. No, no, no. I go there. And it's important to go there because that is the kind of conversation we're having today. And what this book also does is to disabuse the reader of the notion that conversations on race, racism, and race inclusion should be comfortable. I mean, what utter nonsense. How can it be comfortable when inequality is not comfortable? How can it be comfortable when injustice is not comfortable? No, sh- sh- so there should sh- be no sh- such sh- expectation. I should stop now. No, 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 no but, but we love, we love that energy that you have comes straight out the book, honestly. The book, you know, the book kind of vibrates with it, you know. But I, I, I'd like to go back to basics here because you really start off by looking at racism and trying to you know, kind of deconstruct it and trying to understand what it is and, or how you see it. I was, I was interested in your, you, you saw it as a, a power construct in terms yeah. of power. So, in terms, so who's, who's holding the power? Who's, who's not holding the power in, in, your, in your mind? Okay, so this is not in my mind because uh, what plays out every day is evidence of how white supremacy works out, how systemic racism works out. Now, the reason why I, I thought it was important to break down what racism is in the book is because racism today, this conversation we have around racism is no longer just about what is racism, but how racism manifests its, itself in the understanding of people, particularly our white siblings, right? You get people who say, oh, but I didn't see that as, you know, as that. I'm like, how could you not have seen the same thing we all see? You know what I mean? So, so for so, me... So, so, so you're saying that racism, that your, your idea of explaining racism is not... Black people don't need to un- understand racism because we live with it every day. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's extensive. This is something, this is for white people to say, this is racism, you know, this is what it is. Is that what you're That is to partly say? it. That's partly it. The reason why... <clears throat> so I broke it down into three parts. When you talk about it as a power construct... And I thought it was important to break it into three parts so that people, I, I'm hoping that um, it connects the dots. Now, some people think racism is, well, if you just hate me because of the color of my skin, they want to dilute it to such an extent that it then looks like, well, racism means it applies to, to me as a white person or to me as a black person. I'm like, no, 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 that's not racism. By all means, We can talk about bias and prejudice, but that is not racism. Systemic racism is, you know, stems from the legacy of slavery, from the legacy of colonialism. All right. So please, people, let's just take a step back and understand what we're talking about here. And racism, the, the key is in the word racism. If we all understand that there's only one, um, race, which is the human race then we all know that the word race is actually a moot point. You don't need the word race, do we? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's nobody else but us. But those who were of a superior thinking of themselves, who in the words of Winston Churchill considered themselves to be of 
higher grade, came up with this construct of race in order to be able to distinct between those they call inferior and superior based on the color of your skin, not your intellect, not where you're from, but the color of your mm. skin. Can I just clarify yeah. something here, Shola? Because in, in yeah. your book, um, we'll get on, I'm sure, to talk about white privilege as well, yeah. which is another theme in your book. But you distinguish between these two things. And if I'm right, you say that not everyone is racist, but all white people have white privilege. And I understand what you're saying there. But you're also saying that racism is not about prejudice or bias it's systemic uh, you were just you were just saying so in that sense could you not argue that we are all uh, we, we, we are all kind of imbued with racism to a certain degree because this is the world in which we live uh, it's all around us no that was a quick answer absolute <laughs> no um racism again as i was trying to explain we have to understand the, the distinction between um the way racism works and prejudice and bias. So I would say that when ethnic minorities, um, if they have a prejudice, uh, you know, against each other or, you know, against a white person, it's not because they consider the color of your skin to be inferior to theirs or superior. You know, there's a different level of prejudice. Racism is about inferiority of race. And this is manifested by you know, the white by white race towards ethnic minorities. That's what I'm trying to explain to people. Okay, that's one angle. So this is not just, oh, I hate you because um, um, because I don't like the color of your skin. That it's centered on inferiority versus superiority. Hence the words white supremacy. Then you take it down. You don't take it down. You take it up the next level, and the next level is how um, that white supremacy mindset created a power construct of political, economic, and social power, okay? Money, capitalism, correct? And the way that um, white supremacy profited off the dehumanization of black people created that power construct. So that today, one of the products of that is white privilege. It means that you and I walk into a store, okay? It's not written on our foreheads who we are, what our qualifications are, how much money we have in the bank account. But you know you can bet your bottom, I don't know, dollar, that if the security was going to follow anybody, it would probably be me. Do you see what I mean? So that is how systemic racism works. And so when we say power construct, it it is powerful because it is not just applied at an institutional level. It is applied at a micro level. So that you have the likes of the Amy Coopers of this world. Oh, Everyone was so shocked. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. is that still happening in mm. 2020? I'm like, yeah. where have you been? So you have somebody who can pick up a phone to call, to call the police and use trigger words. African American man. Shola, you talk yeah. about that, that weaponization of whiteness. Correct. As kind of a tool to, uh, to threaten, to control and in this case, you know, to, to, to oppress yep. uh, a, 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 a black person. I would, I, 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 I'd like to talk a bit about that in, in a moment, because I'd really like to come back to this idea of, of white privilege in the sense of whiteness being the dominant narrative, and everything is subservient to that. 
and we we and black people have to fit in, have to find a place. And then, and this this what I think is your narrative. Is that this is why I resist because you refuse, you refuse to be put down or to put in your to put in your place. Am, am, am I right in, in understanding that from your from your writing? So when I say this is why I resist, I refuse for anyone to define me other than the way that I have been called to be defined. I'm a work in progress. There is no full stop after my name, just loads of commas. And I'm still going to find some of them. So for somebody to want to say, well, you, Shola, as a black woman, you are thus. And you, Shola, can't behave in a certain way because of thus. I'm like, no, oh my God. If, if I, even as I'm saying it right now, my whole body is on fire. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. And that is why I thought it is so important to deconstruct how the dehumanization of the black identity works. I mean, the truth of the matter is there is no singular black identity. What utter nonsense. All black people are not the same. Mm. We all, you know, they're different cultures, different languages, all kinds of differences. But racism has put all of us into one box. Stereotyping. That narrative, exactly, to feed the narrative of white supremacy, which is why we still deal with negative stereotypes till today. Whether it's in politics, whether it is in a, you know, in, in the workplace, at schools. That's why in the book, I use everyday examples. I mean, look, for instance, do you know how shocked I was? Let me tell you, I was today's years old. I mean, literally not today, but you know what I mean. Today's years old, when I realized that Plaster doesn't have to come beige or pink. Can you imagine? <laughs> I was yeah. that old. I'd probably yeah. given birth to at least two of my three kids for me to go, no. You mean I can have plaster my own color? Uh, no, but no, exactly. No, no, sure. You saw it because of default and you, you get used to it. It's not until you step back and say, well, hang on a sec. Correct. This, this idea of flesh colored, <laughs> the default is white flesh. Exactly. And I think for a lot of us, it wasn't until I was writing the book that I, re- that I realized how much I have internalized. And you know, I'm vocal. You know, I open this big gob of mine and I say what's in my mind, but I'm writing the book, I'm like, no. I didn't realize this was in the recess of my mind here because as I'm analyzing and I'm trying to share my, my thought process, you know, there were times I had to step away from the book and go, okay, you know what, we're going to go watch Netflix now. Let's just... Time to breathe and then exhale. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, because you, you, you've, you've got a chapter there. You, your chapter on go, go, can I be me? Mm. In the sense that we live as as, as as a black person, you kind of navigate your way against all these norms, you know, accepting the plasters and all these microaggressions in order to, to move forward. But in can I be me? You really, you really let it go on this idea of the. Um, of the stereotypical black woman, the angry black woman. Oh, don't get me started. And actually, I already got no. started in the book, so. <laughs> but I thought it was important to mention that. I thought it was important to mention that because, you know, as I say in the book, I, you know, and I know that my words are, are very direct, right? So you can literally hear me say, don't you dare call me an angry black woman because I am passionate, justifiably angry, biologically female, and yes, of African descent. Because those are the reasons you're calling me an angry, you know, you're calling me an angry black woman to fit a stereotype 
and not looking at the circumstances that either make me justifiably angry or you're judging my so-called anger because you're pol- you're policing my body tone and i say don't you dare call me aggressive dominant bully because i am visible you can't handle my visibility and i have got conviction of my cause you have a problem with that and that i am unapologetic i'm not humbly asking you for your permission to speak my mind how is that my problem that you have a problem with me with who i am so my, my response is get the heck off my lane if you can't handle it you don't have a conversation you know and then the thing with uh, uh, the thing with the stereotypes that black women experience on a daily basis is that all of these things result in trying to undermine the excellence of black women the excellent i repeat that the excellence and i should be able to i should be able to um you know say and talk about my excellence without feeling that well some people are just going i mean there are people who are going to be doing that anyway they're going to be people who want to put you down for whatever reason but when i say don't you dare undermine my excellence and brilliance because of your irrational fear of me that's the yeah, point I mean, it's, it's interesting because implicit in all of this shola is the idea that i as a white guy i can be me and i can go around um you know proclaiming my excellence and so on and i don't have the same uh, repercussions <clears throat> and, and that this is a kind of big theme of the book and this is the idea of of white privilege that's kind of uh, there constantly uh in the background from kind of the moment that from the moment I'm born, effectively, I have this privilege, and I understand very much the point you make you make in the book there. But my challenge would be, you know, is is there much evidence from history that people who have privilege and who have power give it up very willingly? Uh, you're hoping that your book is going to be a spur to to action, but where's your evidence that that this is what tends to happen when people have positions of privilege and power? Okay, so. Let me put that to you, Phil, right? You right now are with Michael, you have a, you do have your, your position of influence, right? This is your radio mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. And you're having a conversation with me about this. You are using your privilege to open up a real conversation about race, racism, and race inclusion. You are the evidence. I don't need to go into history because we're talking about now. Mm. And, and even if I were to go into history, I want to remind, you know, the, the listeners that white allies have fought the good fight for race um, injustice, uh, for rape, to end racial injustice and end, um, you know, uh, racial inequality. Some of them even lost their lives. They only... They, the reason why they've been, they, we've had incremental changes and not mass changes is because they were lone voices. Five in the eye. Can I tell you, Shola, the most challenging part of your book for me, um, tell me. As, a, as a white person reading, was the idea of white fatigue. And, I, uh, and I'd never come across this idea before. Yeah. And this is if I, and I hope I'm getting explained right. But you'll tell me if I'm if, if I'm wrong. But these are white people who are kind of saying who, who think they have the right kind of attitude. But they're they're thinking, well, I've done my bit. I, I've done my <laughs> I've done my time. And, you know, I, I feel that I could be guilty of this. I feel, you know, when I was young, when I was a teenager, when I was in, a young man, 
I was out protesting against apartheid. I went on demonstrations against racism and, uh, you know, and so, and I was very politically active and then I got married and I settled down and I had kids and I, you know, and, and now I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, your point in the book, isn't it? Is that black people don't get the opportunity to switch off. I mean, I could say, oh, I've done my, I've done my, <laughs> my bit now, but uh, I'm privileged again, aren't I? Well, let me put it this way. You see, when I talk about white fatigue, it's to explain to, to my white siblings. That's why I call them all siblings, right? Even when you then, you know, tick me off a bit, I, I will still call you siblings and tell you off. And I'm not just talking about white, I mean black, brown, everybody. But what I'm trying to explain to our, to, to our white siblings is that the ethos of black lives matter, i.e. that black lives matter, is not a hotel you can check in and check out of 365 days, 24 seven, because we're in it, you see. And, but to your point, Phil, you know, I, I get your, your point about being visibly active. Uh, you know, the ex examples you gave when you were younger, but I need you and everybody else to understand that activism, it doesn't need to be loud, it just needs to be effective. I would say you having a conversation with me now is part of your activism. You opening the platform that you have Whatever conversations you have on your dinner, you know, at your dinner table with friends on the high street, when you see something is wrong and you do something, that is you using your privilege, right? And I know some people get confused with the word privilege and think eh, privilege means that you are rich. No, privilege simply means advantage. For goodness sake, I mean, why do I need to break that down for you? It just means you're not going to ever experience this like you know either not even like you're not going to experience a period and so if you understand that you are in a unique position then i'm asking you to use your privilege to do the right thing to mm -hmm. to to be to not be oblivious don't tell me anymore i'm sure you can tell from the book where i i i wrote that quite clearly that unless you were born yesterday don't <laughs> tell me you do not understand abc so unless you were born yesterday, and if you still don't understand what in God's name is wrong with you, who, who are you looking to to come to unpick your learning? That's your responsibility. Understood. Michael was born a long time before yesterday, weren't you, Michael? Absolutely. <laughs> Shola, can I just, one of the parts of the book that really resonated with me was um, your name. And oh. you, my name's Ohujuru. And I remember back in the day when I was coming up, I was advised, maybe you should change your name. <laughs> O'Hara. O'Hara. Make it easy. And I said, no. What I did, I introduced myself. My name's Michael, Michael Ohujuru. So I'd give people the opportunity, you know, to either call me Michael or you know, it's their choice. You know, and I should, but, but you, you take a much more... Um, can I use the, the A word, the aggressive word here in terms of people who don't get your name right? No, no, but you see, it's not aggressive. <laughs> this is my name. Don't mess with my name. My name has meaning, okay? Like the, the, the name Shola comes from Ade Shola, which means crown makes wealth. When you call me Shola, you are saying crown makes wealth. You are calling out the blessing upon my name. So you better call my name and get it right and i look if you could say you know swash nigga swarovski and all the other <laughs> names out there 
Yeah. Why yeah. in heaven's name would you have a problem with must shog bamimu? I mean, just read it phonetically. Shog bamimu, not shag, because some people just roll it. it just no, 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 move oh, on. Shag move bamimu. I'm like, do you want to shag me? I don't. No, know. No, no. So please. This, this is a fact. This is a family show, Shola. So it's must shog bamimu. So imagine how I feel when people say it wrong. I'm like. And I think it's important that, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, for years, you know, I probably just let it slide until I, it got to a point I went, no, actually, think about it. You're on a conference call with um, colleagues and they introduce, oh, and we've got Phil Woodford with us from the compliance department and Michael Ohajuru um, from the sales team. And yeah, Shola from Nigo. They don't even go down to my surname. What's up? Oh, wow. I thought the Why? example. I, I, I thought the examples you gave in the book were very telling, really. And you know, situations like you know, conference platforms and so on, where it's a, it's incredibly public. And um, you know, I don't blame you really for 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 kind of sticking. Well, up but for this yourself. isn't about. I, I want you to understand that this for me is not about being, you know, cross at. Oh, you didn't say my name. No, 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 no. That's not it. I'm saying that. This is a this is a this is an issue that children from ethnic minorities are still experiencing today. Mm. It mm. needs to stop. It really isn't difficult. And I've had people go, oh, and you know, they kind of laugh it off. You know, when people you yeah. make it sound like it's a joke, but it's really not a joke. Oh, your name is so difficult. It got to a point I said, My name isn't difficult. If you can't read my name, you're an illiterate. If you can't pronounce my name, you're just lazy. Shola, I'm very much aware of time. So much to discuss with your book. I wanted to to, to have a discussion about intersectionality, mm, about mm. allyship, in terms of how, how I thought it was quite simple, <laughs> but you see it as a much richer, deeper thing. There's not it's, it, it's not class, race, gender, ethnicity, got sexuality. There's, it's more nuanced than that, and there are issues in that, particularly this is feminism. So I'd, 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 you know, you, you, I'd like to hear your, 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 your views on, on, on white allyship, white feminism. Is, is, is there such a thing as white and black feminism? Uh, and and your, 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 your attitude to... Okay, to... so let me start with allyship. Allyship means solidarity for me, okay? Allyship means, um, for me, it's solidarity. Uh, it's allyship when I stand, you know, neck to neck, uh, you know, solidarity with my Jewish siblings against anti-Semitism, with my Muslim siblings against Islamophobia, with my LGBTQI siblings against homophobia, right? And allyship means putting your foot, your mouth, where the reality is, and not just performing allyship. That for me is dangerous. That for me is, um, if, I mean, counterproductive doesn't come to the word. It means that you are, you are creating a falsehood which those uh, those who need it are relying on, but it isn't there. So imagine for a second if the three of us were going through something, and I keep saying to um, to Phil, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm there for you, no problem." When Phil needs me and I don't show up, what does that do to Phil? That's dangerous. To me, that's just wrong. So when it comes to allyship, to dealing with racism, and um, especially with trying to achieve race inclusion. It means you need to you need to listen, you need to educate yourself on the different nuances. I don't expect you to know it overnight because I don't know everything overnight, right? On all the other you know issues that I, I'm standing in solidarity with, 
but it means there's a constant learning and you have to be open to that constant learning and also open to constant conversations. I think it is okay for people to understand that it's okay for you to have cobwebs, things that you're not sure about, think because you don't know. And maybe your first instinct tells you this and then you go, ooh, 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 ah, people might get angry with me. And then I always say to people, especially when they talk about bias, right? I'm like, you need to ask yourself why you have that bias, what exposed you to that kind of thinking, mm. and then educate yourself to change it. Now, when it comes to intersectionality, the reason why intersecting inequalities um, are a huge problem is because it creates a toxic environment. You know, I say to people, when you speak, if we're talking about gender, we're talking about women now, right? Um, people go, oh, you know, all women experience um, misogynoir, right? And my my white sisters will go, yes, you know, that was sexist. Um, okay, Shola, can you just explain to our viewers, oh, not view, our viewers and listeners, what, what, what misogynoir is? Also, misogyny, and then there's misogynoir. Misogynoir, I would say, is, 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 is the hatred and violence against black women, noir, okay, at the end. Misogyny, as you all know, is the discrimination, the hate towards women in but, general. But I have to apologize. Did, did, did I mishear you then? Did you say mis, misogyny, misogyny as opposed to misogynoir? Apologies if, you, if, if I did mishear you. Misogyny not... and there's misogynoir. Exactly. I, I, th- I think I heard you. You said misogyny, misogyny and I heard you say misogynoir. My mistake. Oh, no, no. Oh. I don't think you got you, you, you heard me wrong. I, you know, I, you did tell me two minutes. So this is me trying to put things into place. Now, <laughs> no, no, no. let me talk. What I'm trying to explain here is where where my white sisters can probably say, you know, misogyny, they can probably point at sexism, you know, we don't get to go Monday, sexism, Tuesday's racism, you know, Thursday, something else, because it's usually all intersecting. And the reason why it's important to understand how inequalities intersect is because we each of us, every single one of us, including you, Phil, and you, Michael, we are all a representation of intersecting representations, if that makes sense. I, I, I usually go, you know, you could put up your hand right now and go, I'm male. Just think through all the, uh, you know, I'm not male, but I'm saying you, Phil, and Michael could go, I'm male. But if you think of all the protected characteristics, by the time you think of, you know, your gender, your, your sex, your um, sexuality, your faith, and you bring all of your class, do you see it all intersects, but because the dominant view is the patriarchy, it's male, it's pale, and some often stale, it means that that dominant view, um, it, it, it pretty much just overtakes everything else. So when we talk about et- black, you know, black people and ethnic minorities, it's so important to understand how inequalities intersect for them and create a toxic environment. That's why I said intersectionality is really important. Now, there are people who have done incredible work on this, Kimberly Crenshaw and many, many other people who have done incredible work on this. And I advise, you know, um, the audience to please, the the listeners, please uh, read up uh, on as much uh, of their work as possible. Can I just go back just a a stage, Sholly? You were talking about allyship and you were talking about people being performative 
um, just just before we got onto the intersectionality. I just didn't want to lose that yeah. that thought. I mean, how do we know when someone's being performative? Could I, you know, I'm I'm being deliberately provocative here, but I could say white footballers taking the knee uh, in a, a football stadium is that performative? Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, taking the knee is that performative, or does he mean it? And how would I how would I know? You know, because you and I can't read people's minds, action is usually the best way. So, I mean, the examples you've given now, I know that last year, uh, you know, 2020 and the whole Black Squares for Black Lives Matter, it did raise a lot of questions when some individuals and corporations did it. Because if you notice, they were called out. Some organizations were immediately called out because some people went, hold up a second, I worked for you or I worked for you and this is how you treated me. That's how you know how some of these things are performative. Or maybe certain individuals who, um, um, you know, again, are being called out. Like, you are only doing this because there's a trend, there's a hashtag. All I will say is this. It is possible for people to evolve and possible for people to change. All I'm saying to those who think this is just a trending hashtag, let me jump on the bad wagon, is please don't. Because what you're doing is causing more problems. So I'm saying I need you to check yourselves. I need you to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And I need you to ask yourself how what your commitment is. Because your commitment can't just be on social media. Your commitment needs to be with your family, at your school, in your workplace, in the boardroom. It has to be with your MPs, how you elect your officials, all of that. That's what I'm saying. I can't read people's minds. I'm saying if you do not have the right level of commitment um, and conviction to eradicate white supremacy, which is what leads to the racial inequality and racial injustice, then you're just performing. Sure, Sean, I'm very much aware of time here. There's oh, we're having of, so much fun. No, no, I want, I want to finish up. You know, in terms of coming back to black women, and I'm sure you heard of black girl magic. And I thought that this recent inauguration was a, was a, a brilliant example of black girl magic. You know, you had, with, with Camilla Harris there, you had Michelle Obama there, and the wonderful, the wonderful Amanda Gorman. You know, isn't this testament that we're making progress? You know, that, that, that you've got such powerful black women mm, on the world okay, stage. So I think that definitely um, having the first... Um, you know, we're talking about the U.S. now, but the U.S. having its first black and South Asian um, vice president is a step in the right direction, definitely. But you and I know that's not going to end racism. Yeah. No, so it, 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 it's a movement, you know. It, it's not. It, like, but yeah. It, it, same like when they had Obama. Okay. Some people immediately want to come up with, well, Obama was there, and all of this police brutality was going on. I'm like, you know, I love Obama. But I knew that him being there was not going to end mm. the police brutality because political will has to be there to put in place action that will end things like police brutality. It is a step in the right direction, but we need to keep pushing. We need to keep resisting. We need to ensure there's a political will to actually reflect the changes that will eradicate racial injustice and racial inequality. In the United Kingdom, having a as far as I'm concerned, a racist like Boris Johnson as prime minister makes no sense to me. But people go, 
oh, we're the least racist country in, in Europe and we are progressing. No, you're not progressing when you do that. And that doesn't mean that change, we don't have incremental changes. It just means we still have a long way to go. Well, that, that's kind of where we wanted to, f- to, to, to finish, Shola, with the question about hope for the future. Because, I mean, you, you could argue that, well, Boris Johnson's in there with a big majority. He's going to be there for years. And you've just given the reasons why you find that d- disturbing. We've seen Brexit and all the division that that sowed. And so, I mean, some people would look at the UK and say, we're going in the wrong direction. Are you, are you hopeful um, that if we look five, 10, 15 years ahead, we're going to see positive change rather than the negative, uh, the, the negative things we've seen in recent years? I am hopeful that if as a society we agree to learn from history, and I'm not talking about 100 years history, I'm talking about Brexitism, which is just a perfect example of such division, that yes, Phil, in 10, 12 years time, that I will be able to go, oh, look, our children don't need to deal with that. But you and I are talking about things that our parents dealt with. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, it's great that there are no longer signs that say no Jews, you know, no Irish, no Blacks, no no, no dogs, right? Yeah. But we know that that has been... Mm, it's been transformed into better language in policies, in unwritten rule. So I am hopeful for the future, particularly with the youths. It's so uplifting to see the next generation not, you know, really come out in strong resistance. Um, a lot of them from different backgrounds. It's beautiful to see. So that gives me hope for the future. Five in the eye. Shola, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for those uh, the, that that uh, those powerful words that you have hope for the future. So look, we'll, we'll finish up. But a, 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 a small plug for your book. This is why I resist. It's out now. It's available at all good bookshops. And it's published, actually- by, published by Headline. And um, yeah, we, we got uh, we got copies in advance to read, and we're very grateful to Headline for, and, and, and for that. Let me say this is this is probably the loudest book you'll ever read. It's the the energy, the enthusiasm, the vision, the commitment. It's all in this book. It's all there. This is why I resist. So, Shola, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I'm loving the energy, the energy, and your your passion. Thank you both for having me. Really appreciate it. Five in the Eye. Well, that's it indeed for a very special one-off edition of Five in the Eye. A huge thank you to Dr. Shola Moz Shalbamamu for joining us to talk about her book and the issue it raises. Um, If you have opinions on our discussion, we want to hear them. And you can contact the show, as always, on Facebook or Twitter. And next week, we're back to our usual format, reviewing five of the stories that have caught our eye in the week's news. Some serious and some not so serious. And we'll be joined by an old friend of the eye, none other than Olu Alake. Until then, it's me, Michael Ohajuru, saying, as always, if you have been, thanks for listening. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news, as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?